Anybody come to worship Jesus this morning? Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can use this moment as uh, a moment to be entertained. Praise God for the worship team. Let's thank God for them. So diligent and faithful. Uh, But this isn't a concert. We are here to worship Jesus Christ. So we want to invite you in uh, whenever you uh, come to corporate worship. Uh, Don't ever just look at it as a spectating moment, but look at it as a moment that you're actually a joint participant here. We're all come together to worship Jesus. I love the way David says in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. How many people are glad to be in the house of God today? Amen. Well, listen, we got a ton of work to do in a short amount of time to do it in. So grab your Bibles, your devices or whatever contains the word of God. Meet me in Romans 1. Uh, As you turn there, I have some exciting news to share with you this morning. Uh, Something to lay before you as a prayer request as well. Uh, We started our church in 2015. We launched in 2016, uh, March of 2016. But we started, we got on ground in May in terms of uh, breaking up the soil to try to plant this church. And uh, when we did that, we only had two staff members, which, uh, you know, is efficient for a church our size at that time in 2015. Uh, We had an operations person. Wave your hand, Gabe. Let's thank God for Gabe. He runs our operation here, full-time staff at the church. I'm also full-time staff here at the church. But we realize, you know, one of the things that happens is that as the church continues to grow uh, in our affections for the Lord, uh, in conversions, and the Lord continues to add to the church, the way uh, Acts chapter 2 says, day by day, the Lord added to the church. And as he continues to do that, one of the things we have to make sure that uh, that we do is we put structure in place to support the amount of people that the Lord is adding to the church. We're at three services, uh, actively, actively, actively looking for a bigger space. Uh, But one of the things we can't do is we can't compromise the efficiency of uh, of how we operate this church and how we run this church. So with all that said, at the end of last year, one of my mentors and I began to pray about what it would look like to add another staff member to the church Uh, because we needed just more support in terms of administration, and so the Lord crystallized that prayer towards the end of last year. We begin to create the budget for this year, and uh, that's one of the things we added uh, as part of our budget going forward is to add another staff member to the church, a full-time staff member. Uh, and so my exciting announcement today is that we are adding Lameek today as full-time staff. Amen. Lameek certainly doesn't like this attention, but... Uh, I, I at least want to go on record and, and publicly say that uh, I love this young lady. She's been a part of our church is from day one. She's been uh, just kind of supporting in whatever way. What do you need? I'll figure it out. I'll fix it. Uh, and so she's been a support, a great support. She's extremely gifted, extremely godly. And I'm grateful to, I think our church is going to benefit from having her on staff. So I want to invite her up and pray for her before we get moving. Is that all right? Yeah. Amen. Y'all do me a favor. Point your hands this way. Uh, Lord, I thank you, O oh God, for Matthew 16, that you are building your church. Uh, we don't get the credit for that, but that, that's all you. Uh, we could put strategy in place, but at the end of the day, if, Lord, if you don't breathe on it, it just won't work. So I thank you, O oh God, for being faithful to this church and adding to the church in depth and uh, spiritual walk and spiritual maturity and discipleship and all the things you're continuing to add to the church. I also want to pause this moment to thank you for adding another staff member. Uh, 
lot of times we move past these moments too quickly. A church that's less than three years old, uh, being able to have three full-time staff members uh, to a growing church, Lord, we are grateful. And we realize that at the end of the day, it's really Nehemiah 2. Your good hand is on us. It ain't nothing we did, it's, but it's all your glory and all your, 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 your might and your grace. And so, Father, I pray for Lameek now. I pray that you would protect her, that you would give her wisdom and give her discernment. I thank you for the character and integrity she has had transitioning from her old job into uh, full-time ministry. I'm grateful, Lord, and I pray, oh God, that our church would benefit from the fruitful blessing that she'll bring to the staff. So, Lord, protect her. Keep her, strengthen her, encourage her, give her creativity beyond her years. And I pray that you would give her thoughts that are not her thoughts, that would benefit those that are sitting in this room now and the children. It's in Christ's name we give all glory. Amen. Amen. Y'all thank God for Lamit. I failed to mention that she will be starting March 1st, so uh, this week we're, we're adding her on. So we're excited about it. All right, uh, Romans 1. Uh, we kicked off our journey through the book of Romans last month, and uh, it, it's, been, it's been good for us. One of the things that the Lord really pressed on my heart early on when we first had a handful of people and we just uh, were figuring out how to plant this church, one of the things I really felt strongly about is being committed to the Word of God. And when I say being committed to the Word of God, I don't just mean committed to preaching selectively. And preaching my favorite topics, preaching my favorite to- topics will not help the church to grow in depth. And, and so one of the things we wanted to do was we wanted to go through books of the Bible because it helps us to do what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, where Paul says, I did not shrink away from declaring to you the entire counsel of God's word. So the way we do that is go through books of the Bible. It stops me from pre- preaching my favorite passage every Sunday. Uh, and so when we first started the church, we first went through, this is before we even launched, we went through the book of Colossians uh, just to crystallize the idea of who is Jesus. I know what culture says. I know what I've heard growing up. I know what worldview of Jesus is, but who actually is Jesus from the scriptures? So Colossians helped us with that. Then we jumped into uh, the book of Jonah, and then we jumped back into First Peter, and then we jumped back into the book of Habakkuk. And now we're going through 16 chapters, uh, line by line, verse by verse, and trying to unpack what the word of God has to say. Now, here's where you should rejoice. If you're, if you're just normally a spectator, here's a moment you should rejoice. We're actually finishing chapter one today, <laughs> and that's a big deal. That is a big deal. Let me give a quick recap um, as we finish chapter one today. We first set out and did uh, verses one through seven, which was Paul's introduction. And in Paul's introduction, he really characterized himself in three different ways. He says, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm called as an apostle. And I'm set apart for the gospel of God. And so the first week we got together really was not just Paul's introduction, but he laid out his resume for writing this letter. And then the second week we got together, uh, we talked about how we're shaped by the gospel. And in verse 8, I love verse 8 uh, of Romans chapter 1 where it says, Paul says, the good news of your faith is being reported around the world. And we as a church sat back and marveled at how God could uh, use these, uh, these believers in Rome Despite the fact that Rome was a pagan culture, they continue to grow in their faith. And we marveled and said, we live in a culture that uh, it really is anti-Christ, really doesn't uh, support what Scripture says. We live in a culture that pushes against what Scripture says. And how can we thrive in our faith? But we realize that's exactly what the the believers in Romans did, in Rome did. And then the third week we got together, we looked at Paul saying, "I'm, I'm unashamed of the gospel. 
And he says, because it's the power of God for salvation. And y'all let me pull out a stick of dynamite that week and, and, and talk about the power, the dunamis of the gospel. And then the last two weeks, we took off. We took a detour. We weren't in the book of Romans. And praise God for the last two weeks because it's almost like flying a plane. We hit our cruising altitude the last two weeks. No turbulence. We were chilling. But this week, buckle your seatbelts because there's a bit of turbulence that we will run into, and uh, it's good for us. We need to be shaken up through the Word of God. Is that, is that all right? Yeah. So let's dig in uh, to what the Word has to say. Won't you pick me up in verse 18? We'll go all the way to the end of the chapter. It says, for God's wrath, you know it's going to be rocky when we start like that. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what has been made. As a result, people are without excuse. Verse 21, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over to the desires of their heart, to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded amongst themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator, who is praised forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Their men in the same way left, uh, also left natural relationships with women and were inflamed for lust, in lust for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty for their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that, so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness. Watch this list. Evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy and murder, quarrels, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Take a breath, Paul. Although they knew, they know God's just sentence that those who practice these things deserve to die. They not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. I want to preach, which might not make sense when I first say the topic, but it will make sense as we get through it. I want to preach from the topic entitled Sparkling Diamond. Let us look to the Lord before we dig in. Father, we need you this morning. Really could stop the prayer right there because it is in that that we understand that we are desperate for you. So, Father, I pray that you would get at us today. Even as we read this passage, Lord, there are some things in here that push against what's natural to us. Some things in here that push against what culture has taught us. And, Lord, it, it, the reality is tough subjects like this, Lord, seem to push against 
what seems right to us. But I love the way Proverbs 15 says it, that there is a way that seems right to man, but at the end is death. And so, Father, I pray that we invite you to really cut us deep today. Mend us back together through your gospel. Even in a passage like this, may Jesus Christ be glorified. May Jesus Christ be proclaimed. May we not walk out of here and feel like we're going in despair, but may we walk out of here rejoicing in the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sparkling diamond. Uh, Every jeweler knows that the way to make a diamond pop is not simply to take that diamond and put it into the light. The way to make a diamond pop is not simply to take that diamond and shine it. But the way to make a diamond pop, every jeweler knows, is you take that diamond and you put it up against a dark background. Every jeweler that you know that is serious about their diamonds, when you walk into their store, they have their diamonds displayed against a dark background. The reason they do that is because it allows you to see the cuts that are in the diamond. It allows you to see the the facets and the features that are in that diamond. And in many ways, that is exactly what Paul is doing for us today. Paul is creating for us a very, very dark background because in creating that dark background, we get to rejoice in the sparkle of the diamond of the gospel. If you read this passage and walk out of here and feel in despair, you're missing the point of the passage because what Paul does is Paul lays out for us how deeply sinful we are, not so that you go into a state of depression. But he lays out how deeply sinful you are so that you can see how far God goes to reach you. And in this passage here, many people will read this and walk away and feel like they're in despair. But I want to caution us not to feel like we're in despair. What we got in in, in verse 16 and 17 really is the diamond. We got to hear about the gospel that uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. We found out what saves us, the gospel. But verse 18 to verse 32 tells us why we needed to be saved, sin. And so as we're going through this, I I really want you not to disconnect the sin that you wrestle with from this text. Because everybody in here falls somewhere in here. In fact, there's there's three main points I want to point out to you. If I went through every single verse and pulled out everything in this passage, we'll literally be here all night. And so here's my, my goal. I want to point out three main points of this passage and exhaust those points. Is that all right? Y'all pull out those epiphany pens and we're going to take some notes today. Here's the three main points that we're going to work through. The first one, write it down. Everyone has sin. That's the first main point of the passage. Point number two, sin has disrupted fellowship with God. Main point number three, God's response to sin is holy wrath. Now, now, let me give a quick disclaimer before we work through the text. If I preached this sermon in my preaching class that I had, my professor would fail me because I'm going to attempt to preach the sermon backwards. I want to preach. I'm going to start at the end of the text and work our way up to verse 18 versus our regular flow. Is that all right? All right. Main point. Number one, you should have wrote it. Take some notes here. Everyone has sin. Look at verse number 26 with me. The B part says this. Their women exchange natural sexual relations with unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women. They were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty for their error. Jump down to verse 29. Here's the list. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness, 
They are full of envy and murder and quarrels, deceit and malice. They gossip. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedience to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. I'm not sure if you picked this up, but Paul just laid out a litany of sins. Now, it's important for us not to just jump right in to the litany of sins that he laid out and not first understand what is sin. Sometimes I foolishly come in here and, you know, every week you come in here, I'm going to call you a sinner. Every single week, I want you to rest in that. I want you to feel the weight of your sin. So every week, it's like Oprah, you know, you go on Oprah, she'd be like, you got a car, you got a car, you got a car. That's what I do with sin. I'd be like, you got sin, you got sin, you got sin. Everybody has sin. And the reason I do that is because it's true. We all are sinners. But I foolishly assume that you understand what sin is. Sin doesn't necessarily simply mean right and wrong. Because right and wrong can be subjective. What you think is wrong, I might think is right. And what I think is right, you might think is wrong. And so sin is not simply right and wrong. There has to be a standard for what is right and what is wrong. And I'd love to lay before you what that standard is. Here it is. God's holy perfection. What sin is is missing the mark of perfection. Sin literally means it's an archery term. It's literally... In ancient times, an archer would have took a bow and arrow, and he would have shot the arrow through a hoop. Now, if he shot 10 times, he made nine of them. But the 10th time was slightly outside of that hoop. He was considered, in ancient times, a sinner. Why? Because he wasn't perfect. It's the same way with darts. If you and I played darts, and we had 10 darts, and we got to throw those 10 darts, and I took the 10 darts, and I never hit the bullseye. I threw it. I hit somebody in the eye. I threw it off. I never made the mark. I would be considered a sinner. But if you took those same darts and you were throwing them and you hit bullseye after bullseye after bullseye and nine of them hit straight through the bullseye, but the 10th one hit slightly outside of the red, you're a sinner just like I'm a sinner. Why? Because you've missed the mark. And so when we understand what is sin, we got to understand if you read this list and say, I'm killing 99.9% of that list. But there's one thing that I struggle with. You're a sinner. Okay, let me put Bible there. James chapter 2, verse 10 will say it this way. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point becomes guilty of it all. And so, see, God doesn't give out participation trophies. You don't get an A for effort with God. You either are perfect and spot on at all times or you're a sinner. Now, not to mention, we're not just sinners because of behavior. You're a sinner because it's inherited. The outworking of your behavior is really what's in the heart. And so the sinfulness that I'm talking about is not just a list of sins. It's deep in your heart. But before us today, Paul lays out a list. And what we've done with this list, only honest people will respond here. What we've done with this list is we've made some of them socially acceptable while we condemned others. And so we've looked at this list and we were like, you know what? I have a little bit of greed. And so it's not that bad. God will accept it. Or I have a little bit of envy or I'm a little prideful sometimes. And we've made those socially acceptable. But yet we looked at homosexuality and we've condemned it. See, y'all read Romans 1. Y'all said, Pastor B is going to preach on homosexuality today. Well, I'm going to preach on your gossip today, too, because that's in the list. I'm going to preach on you being unloving. Why? Because you being unloving is in the list. 
And what we've done is we've taken homosexuality and we've made it a bigger sin when in reality, you're just as dysfunctional. And outside of Jesus, you're going to the same hell. And so what we've done is we've looked at this. We've looked at this list and we've made it a, forgive how vulgar this may sound, I shared it with our, with our new members class last week. If you were in that new members class, act like you never heard it, just say amen to give me a little encouragement. In new members class, we talked about how, uh, how we look at sin really is the ping in the pool model, which means everybody in this room has peed in the pool. T.S., you peed in the pool. Garmin, you peed in the pool. Everybody in this room has peed in the pool. But what we've done is we're all sitting in the pool, peeing in the pool, and you really can't see it. But there's one kid that gets out of the pool, and he starts to pee in the pool, and everybody in the pool goes, that's disgusting. Wait a minute, but you peeing in the pool too. And so it's the same way with homosexuality. We look at it. Why? Because it's seemingly an outward sin. But what if God made you carry your sin? What if God said, take a sign that says gossiper. Take a sign all day that says liar. Take a sign that says prideful. But what we do, what we do is we point at them and we be like, God hates that. But in reality, he hates your unloving spirit too. He hates the fact that you gossip, too. And so I want to be explicit today. I want to be very clear as well. Homosexuality is a sin. Like, let's just be clear. I mean, let me read it to you. Verse 26. There are women exchange unnatural sexual relations for uh, unnatural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and received in their own persons their appropriate penalty of their error. It's important for you to understand the words that Paul uses when he does describe homosexuality. I'm just going to read the words, unnatural, inflamed in their lust, shameless acts, error. Paul, it's clear that Paul does not approve. But what we've done is we've said, but culture approves, therefore the church should approve. The church got to evolve. That's what we've said. We, our favorite TV character uh, is, uh, ha- has same-sex attraction, so we think that it's acceptable. What, what we've done is we've looked at that laws are passed, and we've said, of course, laws have passed. We look at the fact that the White House gets lit up with rainbow colors, and we say, of course it should, and therefore the church should evolve. But when I read this, Paul is very clear that it is an error. Paul is very clear that, that it is a sin. But hear me, it's a sin amongst a bunch of other sins. And what Paul does here is Paul does not allow us to point at that one sin as though it's bigger. Hear me. What, this is what we do. We wear God hates gays T-shirts at the same time that we accept the person that slanders your brother, that talks about your sister. But yet we rejoice in as though God accepts our sin. He don't accept no sin. Why? Because he is holy. But I do want to go on record because even though I'm bold enough today to call homosexuality a sin, I also want to be clear that we need to repent of how we've dealt with homosexuality in the church. Church hadn't dealt with it well. Like, hear me. I have family members that struggle with homosexuality and are very clear with me. I ain't ever going to church because the church is so unloving with this one sin. So I want to be specific in my repentance today. And I want to genuinely mean this. Repentance number one. We need to repent for asking them to change their outward appearance without engaging their hearts. 
What we've done is we've told guys, listen, those jeans are too tight. Stop taking that man purse around. And we said, fix your wrist as though that makes you more acceptable to God. We've told young ladies, put on a pencil skirt and put on high heels as though that makes you acceptable to God. Listen, I could care less about your outward appearance. What I care about is your heart. And it makes me angry. It makes me angry because what the church has done is they've taken young ladies and they've taken young men and they've damaged them by saying, just change your outside. And the reason we do that, it's so dismissive. It is so hurtful. The reason we do that is because we don't know how to deal with the sin. That's why we do it. And so we need to repent on how we've dealt with uh, the outward appearance. At the end of the day, God is looking at the. Remember what God said about David? He said, man judges the outward appearance, but it's God that looks at the heart. Like, I'd rather you, I don't care if you put on high heels, you can come in here with Tim's on. But I'd rather you walk back to the place where it was an a, a, a area where you were in deep sin and walk back and minister the gospel to people that you were falling in sin with. That's the goal. And so what we've done is we've said, listen, just change your outward appearance because really your outward appearance makes me uncomfortable. It's not about their heart. It's that you make me uncomfortable. And it's dangerous. We, we got to repent of that. Repent is number two. We need to repent from telling those that struggle with homosexuality that the cure is to be straight. What we've done is we've said, listen, just stop liking girls and like a man. But the cure for homosexuality is not heterosexuality. Like you got to understand that the cure is not for them, a young lady, to stop liking young ladies and simply start liking a man. Here's why. Because if she starts liking a man, what happens when she sleeps with him? And that's not her husband. I can tell you what happens. It's still sin. And so just because you stop liking the opposite sex, and that's what we've done. We've said, listen, I don't know how to engage your heart, but I just need you to like the opposite sex. Again, I know heterosexuals that are going to hell. Hello? And so we've done this. Last week I was talking to Holly. I was talking, where's Holly at? I was talking to Holly last week, and she reminded me of something uh, that, that was very important. She reminded me of a quote by a guy by the name of Tim Keller. Pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Here's what Tim Keller says. He says, homosexuality doesn't send you to hell any more than uh, heterosexuality sends you to heaven. What we've done is we've asked them to root their identity in being a heterosexual, even though heterosexuals still have sin. Here's what you need to root your identity in being in Jesus Christ. That's why. So repentance number one is we need to repent of asking them to change their outward appearance without engaging their heart. We need to repent of asking, uh, of telling them to repent. Uh, We need to repent from telling those who struggle with homosexuality that the cure is to be straight. And third and final repentance is forgive us for telling you to pray the gay away while we didn't walk with you in your struggle. And what we've done as the church is we've said we've called an altar call and we laid hands and said get delivered as though that moment would stop all the other unnatural affections they have. And here's my here's my what makes me angry. We've only done that with homosexuality. I ain't never seen a a altar call called for gossipers. This altar would be full. I've never seen I've never seen an altar call call for someone that had a nasty attitude. And if I understand this list, being unloving is in the list. But we've never called that altar call. What we've done is we've called altar calls on those who outwardly look like they're struggling with homosexuality, laid hands, and we've never walked with them. And it's, it's, unhurt, it's hurtful. 
It is very dismissive. But once again, why do we do that? Because we don't know how to walk with you. But if we don't know how to apply the gospel to our struggles, what are we doing? The church should close down if we don't know how to take the gospel and apply it to what you're dealing with. And so those are my repentance. Why, why do I need to, I feel the need to repent on behalf of the church is because we haven't done we haven't done well with this list at all. And so, yes, it is a sin. But it's a sin amongst a bunch of other sins. You just need to find where you land in this list. Because all of us land somewhere in this list. Now, Paul saying this, it, the, the, you might read this and be like, yeah, but the other sins, he just gives one-liners. And, but he spends two verses on homosexuality. There's a reason he does that. History. By the time Paul is writing this, the emperor of Rome is a guy by the name of Nero. Nero is reported to have had affections for a little boy, had him castrated, paraded in, and married him. And so you got to understand, Paul is dealing with something deep, and that's why he addresses it the way he does. But what we'll do is we'll read that and be like, yeah, it's a bigger sin because he spent two verses on it. No, he's, he's just as passionate about your pride. And so we, we have to deal with each other. So yes, it is a sin. Main point number one, everyone has sin. Homosexuality is a sin amongst envy, murder, deceit, malice, gossip, pride, arrogance, disobedient to parents. I, I told my boys in the first service, y'all, that's a sin. Just disobedient to parents. Boastful unmerciful. All of us land somewhere on this list. Main point number two, if you're taking notes, sin has disrupted our fellowship with God. Look at verse 21. God showed me this this morning. Verse 21, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Okay, jump to verse 28. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. There's one word I want to lift up in verse number 30. God haters. Sin has messed us up. Sin has not just made you stagnant in your relationship. Sin has made you move further and further and further away from God. You know that when God created Adam and Eve, he created them to be an uninterrupted fellowship. There's a point in, in, in Genesis 1 where, where, uh, where Adam is walking. The Bible says he's walking with God in the cool of the day. Can you imagine that? Like, you're just walking with God, chopping it up, talking with God, be like, yo, you created a dope body. And, you know, you just, yo, you created Eve and she's fly. Like, like, can you imagine them just walking in the cool of the day and just talking? Uninterrupted fellowship. But the moment we get to Genesis 3 and sin happens, fellowship has now been broken because the first response, besides blaming his wife, was to hide from God. And so what we have is there's only two chapters in all of the Bible that we are accepted. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. From Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, it's us trying to get back in that relationship with God. Why do we have to get back? Because sin has broken that fellowship. And this is why we rejoice in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the bridge that connects a holy God to sinful man. You, are, you cannot earn your way back. You cannot work your way back. What you need to get back into a Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 state is Jesus Christ. But sin here makes us move further and further and further. In fact, let me, let me show you this. There's a couple of terms I want to throw out. You can write them down and study them later. Notice how far we move from the Lord. Verse 21 shows us humanism. Humanism is the praise and giving glory to man and not the divine, giving glory to creation and not giving glory to the creator. Verse 21 shows us humanism. For though they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God or show 
gratitude. But watch how it moves us further. Verse 28 moves from humanism to atheism. Atheism is simply you're not even acknowledging that there is a God. Look at verse 28. Stay with me. And because they did not think it worthwhile to even acknowledge God. So, he, so we move from glorifying each other to not even acknowledging God. But watch how far this thing goes. One word in verse 30, God haters, Satanism. So look where we move from humanism. We move to atheism. We move to Satanism, being God haters. You never, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, you never just stay stagnant in your dysfunction. You always progress further and further and further away from him. Now, when we understand this, it helps us to understand deeper why we need Jesus Christ. So here's main point number one. Everyone has sin. Main point number two, I'm trying to move quicker here. Sin has disrupted fellowship with God. And main point number three, God's response to sin is holy wrath. I told you guys a few weeks ago that we need a wrath sermon once a month. And here it is. He starts out verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed against heaven, uh, revealed from heaven against godlessness and unrighteousness. According to this passage, God's response to our sin is wrath. Now, God's divine wrath is different than human wrath. In other words, if you do me wrong, I give you my vengeance. I give you, I'm, it's, it's almost sinful. I get you because you got me. It's not so with God. God doesn't get us in wrath because we got him. God gets us because he's holy. And God's holiness doesn't allow for your sin to dwell in his presence. And I don't know about you, that makes me rejoice. The reason that makes me rejoice is because I realize that I serve a holy God and his holiness is seen in the fact that he'll judge and punish sin, which means if he allowed you to be in his presence with your sin, it diminishes his holiness. And if he's not holy, I need another God. And so the fact that God is like, I'm going to pour out my wrath really is saying I am holy. I, I dwell in unapproachable lights. I do not allow sin in my presence. Now, when we think of wrath, we always think of eternal separation, the lake of fire, the gnashing of teeth, and yes, that is wrath. But there's another wrath that I want to point out in this text. And the other wrath is that God reveals his wrath by giving people over to do whatever they want to do. Watch the text. Now, this, this came, this show, God showed me this this morning too. There's something called a melodic line where you see a repeated word or a repeated phrase. Y'all have heard me say that before. That simply means that the author is trying to pinpoint that that's the issue. But watch this. Three times, God uses the, uh, Paul uses the same phrase. Verse 24, God delivered them over. Verse 26, God delivered them over. Verse 28, God delivered them over to, the, to a corrupt mind. In other words, it is God's vengeance and God's wrath for you to operate in sin and not feel anything. See, this is why I praise God for conviction. I praise God that God won't allow me to be in sin and not feel conviction. Because what that's the, if God wants to knock you down, he's so big, he ain't got to punch you. If God wants to knock you down, all he got to do is let you go. And what you see in the passage is there are people that God will say, you know what, they want that sin too much, I'm going to just let them have it. And the moment you can sin without any conviction, the moment you can sin without repentance is God displaying his wrath. And so you should rejoice when you feel conviction. 
Because when I feel conviction, I realize God ain't let me go. When I feel conviction, I realize God is pursuing me. When I feel conviction, I realize that God ain't that far. He's actually close. See, the, the moment you feel that God is far is actually him being near. Because if he was really far, you wouldn't feel anything. But the fact that you even feel conviction is God's grace. The fact that you feel conviction is God's mercy. And some of you in here right now, you're dealing with that conviction right now. You're trying to figure out how you're going to get out of that sinful relationship, that habit that you have that nobody else knows about. If you feel conviction, praise God. Praise God you feel that. The next step is repentance. Because I'm tired of us wallowing in sin and not repenting. And let me help us. Repentance isn't I'm sorry. Repentance is turning away from that sin and walking another way. But what we've done is we've we've had attrition repentance where we apologize because I don't want to get in trouble. When in reality, we're not broken, as as David says in Psalm 51, a broken and a contrite heart. God will not despise. And so when I read this passage, I understand. Thank you, God, that you don't let me get so deep in sin that I'm numb to it. There are some brothers that are numb. There are some sisters that are numb. I praise God that I feel any type of conviction. And so when you read this passage in whole, it's easy for us to walk away and be like, man, like there's no hope. Like there's no hope for me. You just told me that God is holy and that he judges and he punishes sin and he sends his wrath on sin. How in the world am I accepted? Here's the gospel. Here's the diamond that, that against that dark background is verse 18 to 32. But here's the diamond. That Jesus Christ has kept the list. None of this stuff on the list Jesus ever did. He kept the list so that he can give you that list, even though you fall somewhere within it. You deserve death. You de- you've earned death. But Jesus Christ has given you life. That's the diamond that sparkles even in the midst of a dark background. So thanks be to God for sending the perfect one. The one that lived a life that I could never live. The, the one that walked the walk that I could never walk. The one that kept the list that I could never keep. The one that died the death that I could never die. Thanks be to God for sending Jesus Christ. Because we deserve from verse 26 to verse 32, we deserve punishment. We deserve separation. But if you're sitting in here right now, even if you fall somewhere on here, even if one of these you committed, listen, you could have committed murder last night. If you repent, you're going to go to jail, but I'm not, we got, we got laws. But if you repent and you turn to Jesus Christ, you're forgiven like that. And I praise God for a God that doesn't just send wrath without giving me grace. I praise God for that. So every head bowed, every eye closed, because here, here's what I want to do. I would be remiss if I didn't offer salvation to somebody today. Not that I have it in my hands, because I don't. Salvation is unto the Lord. God saves who he wants to save. And maybe you, you walked in and you felt, felt a little in despair. Maybe you walked in and you, you landed somewhere in this passage. Like we joke around, but maybe there are some sins that aren't socially acceptable, but you, you've done them, and, and it, it's led you down a path of a cycle of sin. You can be forgiven today. I want to pray for that one that doesn't know the Lord. Don't let a passage like this run by you. 
because God will send wrath. I pray for that one today. If that's you, if you would say, I don't know Jesus Christ, and you just diagnosed, you just diagnosed all of us in this room, but you didn't diagnose us without giving us the remedy. What's the remedy? Jesus Christ. I want to offer him to you today. If you don't know Jesus, if you would slip your hand in the air, you would slip your hand. If you would say, I don't know Jesus. Yes, Pastor B, I, I fall somewhere in that list and I continue to do those things. The end of this passage says that those who practice these things deserve to die. I want to turn away. That's you. Raise your hand. Somebody praying in here. That's you. If you would say, I don't know Jesus. I want to profess faith in him today. And maybe you've, maybe you've come week after week. Maybe you have professed faith, but you aren't really living under the lordship of Jesus. Maybe you've professed faith because your friends did and your family did and it's the right thing to do. But in reality, you know that you're far from the Lord. You know you haven't given your life to the Lord. If that's you, nothing spooky, nothing deep. I want you to raise your hand today. Father, I pray for everybody in this room. This entire passage can be weighty, oh God. Entire passage. But I thank you, oh God, that even though you've diagnosed us, that you've given us the diamond that sparkles. You've given us Jesus. Because we deserve, after this list, Lord, we deserve separation from you forever. But I love the way Ephesians 2, 4 will say it, but God made us alive with Christ. And so we actually get life despite the fact that we've earned death. Thank you, Jesus, for your commitment to pursuing us even when we didn't pursue you. I pray for that one in this room. I don't know if they're here that just maybe might have been embarrassed and just doesn't want to publicly express faith in you. I pray today that they would be uneasy until they've given their life to you. And I pray for everyone else in the room that has trusted in you. That maybe we've trusted in you, but we're still operating and doing some of the things that are on this list. We still got a lot of pride, still are arrogant, still are boastful, disobedient to parents, practice homosexuality. Father, I pray all of us in this room because the reality is all of us need you. We're all kneeling at your cross pleading with you to work on us. Sanctify us. Make us look more like Jesus. Pray that conviction would be in this room. Pray that we would not feel comfortable in our sin. Make us uncomfortable. As we wrestle with what it means to Christ's name we pray.